Capsi Podcast Series. Capsi, building a culture of effective giving and corporate social responsibility. Welcome to another episode of our conversations on African philanthropy with me, Peginkos Moyo, the director of the Center on African Philanthropy and Social Investment. I'm so excited to be joined by Yvonne Tombizoto Machaka, popularly known as Yvonne Chakachaka, a musician, a businesswoman, a producer, a mother, but above all, the princess of Africa. Welcome, Ma. Thank you very much for having me. I don't know if I should call you prof or doctor or just my child. My child. <laughs> <laughs> I think that will just loosen things between us. My child is the Okay, first. my son. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for honoring the invitation. Uh, as you know, we have really been trying to begin conversations on African philanthropy and the African ways in which giving takes place. And we are no strangers to giving in Africa. But let's take it back to when you were a child. What were the stories or some of the stories that you still remember of giving that shaped the way in which you have seen the world in those prisons? Well, thank you very much. Firstly, I just want to thank you and your team. And by the way, your team of young girls, young, smart women, that's the way to go. So I want to say to you, thank you. You know exactly from which Kisima to drink from. And you've done that with these brilliant young women that you work with. And for the fact that you took it upon yourself um, to make sure that philanthropy, in the best way that we Africans know, you've taken it and put it at the forefront. Um, I'm sure, I know how humble you are. You never say these things about <laughs> yourself. So I want to put you in the spotlight. I know you're interviewing me, but yes. I'm turning things so the around. Are turning now. You, you know, when I met you a couple of years ago, you wanted this to be done. And I want to commend you for that, to say, here, we've seen it, and it's at one of the Africa's best universities. You know, growing up in Soweto as a child, I knew that uh, I would not go to bed without food. I didn't even think we were poor. At home, even though you opened the fridge and the fridge had um, a bottle of water. I don't know where did this thing come from, that when the fridge was empty, we put ilashi. You know, uh, what is ilashi in English? Coal. coal. Yeah. We put the coal in the fridge, they would say, so that um, it shouldn't smell or something like that. So as a young girl, I never thought we were poor at home because I knew that my mother will give me tomato and say, go Thelma, go and next door, and she would put in a, you know, in a dish, maybe in pupu, and we buttered, and that's how we lived. So I'll go across Gwasis Pexi, come back with bread, go Thelma, come back with tomato, go Mandela, come with onion, and we, we, we've got to share with Siyaja. Now both would do the same, go to Umamaga Refil, ask for butter, ask for bread. That's how we lived. And for me, that says we were caring for one another. And that was philanthropy at its best because no child went to bed without food because the neighbors were there. We were a, a, a close-knit family. And in fact, I like the way you put it because it takes us into maybe one of the developmental questions, the sustainable development goals. One of the principles there is leave no one behind. 
But the only way, and, and I'm told the revolutionary person said this, the only way you can be sure that no one is left behind is if you are the last yourself in the line. That's the only way you can tell there's no one behind. And that's what traditional ways of living used to do. You make sure that no one goes to bed hungry. And in fact, it's a shame if you go to bed with a full stomach, but your neighbor is actually hungry. And, but where has that gone, Mom? Um, there's a song that I sing. It's called Yesterday is Gone, where when, uh, now that the struggle is gone, we've lost hope, we've lost faith, we've lost trust. I don't know whether is it because people have turned to look out for themselves and not care for the broader community. I think we are so fixated in me, my, my immediate family, and forget that umuntu, umuntu ngabantu. Uh, that has been so commercialized now. I mean, everybody uses that for commercial reasons. It's actually sad because we know that good leaders would be the last ones to eat. Good uh, leaders would make sure that their subordinates or the people that they're leading have roof over their heads, they've got food, and they will stand back and make sure that everybody has sufficient food and they'll be the last ones to eat. But things have turned around. Everybody just wants to take, take, and take. So I am, because you are, is popularly known as uh, Ubuntu, which is a philosophy uh, that cuts across different, uh, <clears throat> I would say, regions. So it's humanism in Zambia, Arambe in uh, East Africa, and so forth and so on. Uh, but when you refer to me as my child, I know that it sounds literal, but for the longest of me that I've known you, you always have people around you. The, the, the first time we met in Ethiopia, you were traveling with a Kenyan um, young, uh, lady. young lady that you were calling your, your own child. And there are several others that I've seen you with. What is it that drives you to bring these young people, young ladies around you and empower them, especially given that you have had an illustrious career yourself uh, in the music industry? Peggy, you know, my mother used to say, when we're born, we're born with nothing. And when we die, we take absolutely nothing. But when we live, we need to do something to empower ourselves and to empower others. You get people who disseminate information. You get people who impart their knowledge. So I remember as a young girl, um, I'm just going to, you know, yeah. there was a lady even today, I don't know her name. We used to call her Cisness. We envied her, you know, at five o'clock, because maybe she was starting work at six o'clock or whatever. She would wear her white uniform, put her cape, and, um, and she would look beautiful and would stand, you know, at the window and peep and see her walking with pride, wearing her Ness uniform. We never knew her name. Even today, I still don't know her name. Mesimbizusisness. Mm. We loved her. She was our inspiration. We looked up to our teachers as well. They were the ones who imparted their knowledge, and we wanted to be like them. So when I started singing, I looked at those people who inspired me, and I thought, I'm being given a platform here 
what am I going to do with, do with it? Am I going to be happy to travel the world and, and be so-called a famous person? What has God put me here for? So this is what has always encouraged me to take others because somebody was there for me and gave me a platform to be where I am. And the whole world, particularly South Africans, opened their arms to give me this platform to be able to perform for them and then do other things uh, as well. So when I went to my very first trip outside South Africa in 1986 was Zimbabwe. It was my first time on the plane as well. So I looked at Harare and I really loved it. And I thought, oh, this beautiful continent loves me and I should love it back. So that's why I work with young pe- girls, young people, whether they're from Kenya or they're from Tanzania or from, from, from Ethiopia, because they also give me so much as well. I learn from them as well. Yeah. yeah. So really, I must also thank you for... Uh you know, the many things that you do, some of them go unnoticed. So we had Berita the other time here as well. We were talking to her. And, of course, she considers you as her mentor. But, you know, Berita has also been trying to, you know, come up with this uh, initiative for women in music business. And one of the things that you did was to appear in one of the modules on uh, finance for uh, non-governmental um, uh, organizations or social enterprises. And the impact that you did on that session alone for the young artists was phenomenal. So I think there are so many of these things that you do that really uh, uh, strengthen uh, the voice of women. But I digress. When we were about to come in here and we were talking about the young staff component, the, the female, the women, we, we, we went into this phrase that you normally use, the definition <laughs> of a woman. I just want us to capture that uh, for our audience. Well, for me, the definition of a woman is a well-organized man. Because we are all men, by the way, but we who bring life into this world, we who bear children, we who bear souls, are well-organized men, because we are all men. But um, it's actually very sad that carrying a person for nine months, things have really turned the other way around. The ones that you carry, the ones that you cocooned, are the ones who are killing you today with the gender, gender-based violence that is there today. It's actually very, very sad. So I want men to take a back seat and say to themselves, are we doing the right thing? Can you imagine with artificial intelligence and things like that, if we were to phone God and say, okay, tell me, am I carrying a boy or a girl? Yeah. Remember, it does happen now. And if it's a boy, okay, we terminate you. Yeah. So yeah. boys yeah. must be very careful, careful because that's exactly what we will be doing yeah. now. In yeah. fact, I should advocate for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, I, I just love the idea of well-organized men because it then says that, us men, we are not organized. Totally uh, not. And, and we've got to figure ways in which we can organize ourselves. Uh, thank you so much for that. I just wanted it captured because <laughs> every time you say it, it just says a lot of things to us. At what point in your illustrious music career did you realize you needed to set up a foundation? I started singing in 1985, thanks to Phil Hollis. This is the guy who found me. I was due to go to university the following year. And... Um, then I found myself in Johannesburg. And, and long story short, 
recorded, I'm in love with the DJ. And as I said, my very first trip outside South Africa was going to Zimbabwe. And I think my second trip was going to Lesotho. I remember going to Zimbabwe, I met uh, some people and I was introduced to, I think, Chirinyazo home. This was, you know, in 1986. This was the home for, for young, for, for, I think, abandoned children. That, for me, you know, said, if you go to a country and there is a need to do something, do something. You can't just come and perform. I remember going to Uganda as well. Um, that was my very first interaction with the people who were HIV positive at Tasso Mulago. And thanks to President Museveni and his wife, because they stood for those people and made sure that people had their ARTs and, you know, uh, there shouldn't, shouldn't be stigma, you know, for people who are HIV positive. And I still say, even though he and his friends or his people tried to deport me, you know, you know, President <laughs> Museveni, you, you know, you president, you're still my hero for doing that, you know, because of the stigma and everything. So for me, it was um, just being conscious of knowing that umuntu, umuntu, abantu, as you said, I am because you are. So if you go to any country, don't just go and perform and leave. Take the money and leave. <clears throat> Ask what is needed. Ask who needs whatever. It's not that I'm able to help everybody, but the little that you can do, because these people give you that platform to come and watch you perform, what are you doing in return? Yeah, so maybe we might as well go to the other unfortunate event uh, in your career uh, where you lost one of your musicians uh, to malaria yeah. um, and, and how that might have also influenced the way in which you view philanthropy, but also you view the state of musicians uh, in general. Well, you know, as I said, that like um, from an early age when I traveled, I always made it my business to either find a home for children or abandoned kids or, you know, whatever was needed at the time. And the promoters who promoted me were always eager to take me to those places. But what changed my life really was in 2005 when I was asked to come and perform in Gabon. And uh, we got to Gabon. It was amazing. It was a big jamboree. So we flew from um, one place to the other. I can't remember the places. It was a beautiful two weeks. And coming back home, one of my musicians, we were unaware, she had contracted malaria. And when we got home, she went to hospital. In fact, her friends called to say, "Age Gogo. You know, my friends called me Gogo. From when I started singing, I was called Gogo. And they said, hey, Upumzile is not looking well. Her eyes are even yellow. So I quickly told my husband, and we got her in ambulance. We met her, Joe Beckjan, and she was delirious already. It was cerebral malaria. Because when she went to a doctor here, she was misdiagnosed. And unfortunately, she passed on. That is what changed my life, because when that happened, I said, Pumzila was a great musician. I mean, she worked with Letambulu, she worked with Miriam Makeba, she worked with Stimela, but this particular trip, she decided to come with me. So I always say, probably God had a plan for me. And uh, two days ago, I was at the Egyptian embassy and I met the High Commissioner of Gabon, whom I told that I want to come back to Gabon to build 
even if it's a clinic, yeah. you know, and give it the Pumzile Ndule name because that's where it happened. It was very, very sad. But um, as I said, Pumzile's death made me want to give malaria a voice because I thought I'm a South African. I live in a beautiful country. There's no malaria. But countries that I've gone to, really, there's always been malaria. And malaria has been there for a very long yeah. time. But I really didn't think it kills so many people, yet it is preventable and curable. Yeah. So it all started there. When UNICEF and Rollback <coughs> Malaria asked me to be their goodwill ambassador, I thought I wanted to do that because I would give malaria the face and yeah. the voice it needed. And how has that role been uh, over the years? What have been some of the challenging moments, but also some of the successful moments that we could talk about? There's been lots of challenges. Obviously, um, funding is the first one. Everybody knows about that. But, you know, in the 17 years, you know, working with Rollback Malaria, UNICEF, Global Fund, and all the other UN agencies, I've seen a lot of change. I've seen lots of interventions. And I want to say to the people, because sometimes it becomes a huge problem when it comes to funding. Funders will come to a particular community and tell them that you need a school when they need a church, yeah. or you need a church when you need a school. So I think with any funding, it's important that people listen to a particular community mm -hmm. because people know what their shortcomings are and they know the solutions. And I think all they need is a hand up, not a hand out. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of change and I've seen, you know, people allowing people to come with indoor residual spraying to spray. People are using uh, long lasting nets. And here, I mean, the, 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 the School of Vits, working with young people, I've worked with different professors here, they've done such good work, even with young people doing research and development. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of progress, and I want to say this is not the time to put on the brakes, because this is an old disease, and it still kills so many people. Yeah, and I think one of the <clears throat> ways in which African philanthropy has a role to play is actually responding to some of these issues that our communities face. It could be malaria, it could be HIV and AIDS, the whole big pandemic on gender-based violence. Um, and of course, funding becomes an issue, but African philanthropy it talks to so many resources, some of which are not financial. And I think that social cohesion and some of the movements that we have seen over the years play a huge role in addressing some of these issues. I want us to talk a bit about the role that social cohesion ought to play in solving our challenges today. You know, I think once we are aware of who we are, I mean, there's so many social ills out yeah. there. Um, you know, the first question that you asked was that, um, did I know uh, when I was young, you know, if I was poor or not yeah, and giving yeah, each yeah. other... Um, African people have always been there for one another. We've always respected one another. We've always tolerated one another. It's actually very sad that, you know, then we have other people who come into our lives and then start dictating to us how to live our lives and how to do things. And it becomes very sad that our stories are not told by us. Yeah. So I want to encourage young people to tackle the bull by the horn. 
write their own stories. I mean, social cohesion is something that is very important. Yeah. It shouldn't be <clears throat> overlooked. So yeah. I, 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 I respect young people who see the need to question our leaders as well. Yeah. And it should be done. I mean, I always say Africa is not the dark continent that everybody believes it to be. This is a continent of beauty. This is the continent of endless food. This is the continent of endless minerals. It's just, I think, uh, uh, poorly managed. So it's important that our leaders make sure that we don't have young people crossing the seas and dying. Yeah. Let all these minerals be available for everybody who lives in this yeah. beautiful Africa. Well, you have given me an opportunity to uh, advertise once again what Kisima is and why we actually put it in place. So the idea around Kisima, which in Swahili means a well, yeah. so you go to a well to actually fetch water to quench your thirst. We were actually shocked uh, at the height of COVID about the reporting, but also the promotion of interventions that were coming from outside at the expense of the, the interventions and the response by local communities. And so we decided we're going to come up with this initiative that would allow each and every individual to tell the stories of resilience, of sharing, of philanthropy in their own ways. Mm. So they would either send voice notes, they would send videos, they would uh, send articles. Our team will also go out and collect those stories. And this is our only way of actually repositioning the narrative on, on African philanthropy, but also on Africa in general. You were, you were talking about the beauty of Africa, and at the age of 19, you end the name Princess of Africa. How did that come about? I went to Uganda for the very first time, and um, Mr. Mike Mukula, who was the promoter, um, told me there were lots of people, I mean, from Entebbe to Kampala, and they've come to see their princess. And I'm like, me, I live in Soweto. We don't have kings and queens <laughs> and princesses. And uh, who is she coming from where? And um, I was actually surprised. And to this day, I still really pinch myself. People were standing there with placards. We love you, Chaka Chaka. You are our princess. And Phil Hollis, who was my manager at the time, you know, said, you are a princess of Africa, you know. And uh, I just want to thank the people of Uganda. I love Uganda very much. I want to say to them, you know, and um, that's how it started. And I don't want to be the queen. I don't want to be Mama Africa. There's one Mama Africa, and it's Mary Makeba, and we can't take that away from her. I want to remain the princess. <laughs> and the princess you are. So I know then that the name is stuck. And, uh, and names have got a way in determining what the future then becomes. Where are we now with the Princess of Africa? And I want us to talk about the programs of the foundation. Um, I'm actually very grateful that, you know, that name has just um, given me the latitude to do the things that I want to do. In 2006, I started the Princess of Africa Foundation uh, as you said, I work with young people from Kenya, whether it was Amanda or Zoe or, you know, Komozo that I work with or Maria. So the Princess of Africa Foundation, obviously, it's the work that it was the work that was enhancing all the work I was doing, you know, as a goodwill ambassador uh, for UNICEF and Rollback Malaria. But I then decided I need to do even more 
you know. So we work with young people, men and women, uh, but we prioritize women, women because yeah. they are the ones who are sort of disenfranchised even today, you know. Uh, we've started a woman radio station. It's called um, Woman Radio. It's an online radio station. So all these young people are young people who've got great qualifications and they love radio. So they come up with um, different topics, whether it's gender-based violence, LGBTQI, issues that your mainstream radio station will not talk about. Yeah. So that's what we do. And the Princess of Africa Foundation as well has a, a, another part uh, uh, of awards where we award musicians, the ones who do... Uh, who are at the back, you know, your backing vocalists yeah, and your yeah. session musicians, <clears throat> and we grant them 25,000 rents and open an endowment for them. So the Princess of Africa Foundation has really tried to, to work in the cultural space and, uh, and in other spaces, really, with education, women's issues, and just the youth, because you can't be talking about girls' issues without talking to boys or talking about boys' issues. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean, the, the big elephant in the room is the COVID pandemic. Uh, how did it affect you, uh, the foundation, and the programs? The thing called COVID, which I don't know where it comes from. It must go back to where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, whether it was music, whether it was the programs of the foundation, uh, we, I mean, everything, we were hit very hard. Um, obviously, people didn't have to work. We had to abandon some of the programs, as it is the Backing Vocalists and Session Musicians Awards that we did. It was in 2020, just before COVID. In fact, on that Sunday, that was the last day, and we didn't do anything in 2021. In 2022, we're just busy. Thank you to the Department of Arts and Culture. And uh, we will resume with the Backing Vocalists and Session Musicians now Woman Radio was started during COVID, yeah. which was very good. Because I think when people were at home, you, you had to come up with innovative ways to yeah. do things. Yeah. So we started that radio platform because, you know, you had to work from home. And it's an online radio station. So COVID came with, um, it was bad. But, you know, people had to think in a very innovative ways to start doing things. Yeah. And it's, it's actually very sad that so many people that we know and that we love um, died of COVID, you yeah. know. But yeah. I think it really taught us that we always have to be ready because I think we were found wanting and we were found off guard. But I think the way Africa worked was very, very good. Yeah. You know, I want to commend our leaders, but it could have been done better. And maybe next time when another scourge comes... We need to be ready as Africans yeah. and not wait for the first world to abandon, you know, um, vaccinations or take even more than what they don't want. Yeah. That yeah. becomes a huge problem. Yeah. And my view is that we probably are facing another pandemic right now, which is uh, the climate change related pandemic. Um, I, would, I would love to hear what your views are in terms of the role that you think philanthropy ought to play in either mitigating or responding to philanthropy. And a classic example would be the COVID uh, situation. Um, how did philanthropy in your space respond and how would you want it to change? Because we want to use this opportunity as well to not to educate, but to enlighten, mm. especially those that have resources on how they can use them effectively during those moments. 
You know, climate change um, is it, it's, it's something that we all have to look into and say, what do I do in my space as well? You know, change starts with we, with me, with we, with us, yeah. uh, in our homes, in our surroundings. And for the fact that we do not look after the environment, it's also not going to look after us. So it's important that we even teach our children the case of, of COVID. It was so sad because there were so many people who didn't even, who went to bed without food. Yeah. And others have had food in abundance and food was thrown away. So that began to, to show us that we are not one. But there were those people who are philanthropists who were there for others. I mean, there were so many people giving out parcels, yeah. food parcels yeah. and yeah. blankets and things like yeah. that. So we have to care for the people, even the ones that live in the streets, because nobody was born under the bridge. Nobody, I find it very, very sad that today we've got street kids, we've got people who live under the bridges. And with COVID, how many people lost their jobs? How many people lost their homes? Right. And it's actually yeah. very sad that even the banks are not even looking at trying to say, we understand there was two years of standstill and we'll give a break for you to recover and then stop. They repossess cars. They repossess yeah, yeah. Uh, homes. And it's actually very, very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I suppose, you know, as we, as we grow and progress, uh, we are also expecting philanthropy, especially in the African continent, to be very, um, I'd say, progressive. One of the research reports that was done um, during the height of COVID by uh, Bridgespan says that in response to COVID, high net worth individuals, we're talking about people whose net worth is one million US dollars and above, between March of 2020 and December of 2020, they gave towards COVID um, more than they had done in 10 years. And that says that they were responding to something maybe that affected them. And other things that don't affect them, they hold back. And there's a growing population of high net worth individuals in South Africa, in Africa. How should we be working with these high net worth individuals uh, in Africa so that they contribute effectively to the resolution of the challenges? It's actually very good to hear that and actually very sad. On the other hand, yeah. um, it's a question that I ask myself. Why was the response so quick when it came to COVID? Yeah. When we, have, we still have HIV today, we still have malaria, and now we've got monkeypox and yeah. things like that. Was it because it was hitting hard to those who can or what? But we've seen the response. We've seen the money that was thrown out there and given. So I want to say to our African brothers, charity begins at home. It's the best thing for us to start doing things for ourselves. It's like the bank, uh, Prof. When you want money, the bank asks you if you've got collateral, and they will give you the money. Yeah. So I think it's important that we start doing things for ourselves so that when those who have also give, they find us with something, but they do not tell us how to use this money because we know, we know what we want 
and we know what our problems and our bottlenecks and challenges are, and we should just find the correct way to make it work. And I want to urge people to say they shouldn't make philanthropy a business. Yes, it should be conducted very well because you need to account, you know, but um, we shouldn't see it as a, a way to tell people how to live their life. It's just to give them a hand up, you know, and let them do things for themselves. I find it very sad that today there's people who don't have food. There's people who don't have homes. Uh, There's graduates who can't even find work. How are we... I mean, Africa has more young people. And how are we going to mitigate that problem? How are we going to solve that problem of young people wanting to go out and then die in the seas. Let us do things for ourselves here. Let us try and clean up this Africa. Philanthropy is a very, very good thing, but let let us make sure that it works for everybody who is in this beautiful continent. I mean, the levels of uh, inequality, the ways in which you redistribute wealth are still shocking, uh, you know, to all of us. I mean, the, the latest reports from Oxfam uh, tells us that there are three Africans in the continent whose wealth is equivalent to half the population of the continent. So that means 650 million people's wealth is equivalent to the wealth of three individuals. Three individuals. And that really tells us uh, a lot about how policies, redistribution of wealth and others ought to be rethought. But I wanted to you know, move a bit to um, how you have also structured your operations. I know that behind the foundation, there's also a business. Uh, most non-profit organizations don't think of that. They think of philanthropy as the only way to solve their issues. But you had foresight to actually start thinking about a business side to things. Um, maybe we talk a bit about that business side. Um, well, Chaka Chaka Promotions, it's the company that I, I run. Uh, now we've got uh, Chaka Chaka Homeware. You know, we'll still have uh, plates, you know. Um, We've got uh, hair care as well. So I make sure that when I do my philanthropic work, some of the profits from my business, you know, uh, help the foundation. I mean, it's actually very sad that some of our foundations, we have to fund them. Uh, It's not easy to find funding. But... um, Business makes things happen because you get business partners and things like that. And with the hair uh, care product that um, we're just going to launch, I thought some of the proceeds will have to try and help a child-headed homes because these are the other vulnerable uh, uh, um, communities that we forget about. I mean, you find a 21-year-old looking after four, five siblings a 21-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 7-year-old, even a 5-year-old. So I would urge those people with deep pockets to try and help those, you know, children because it's very sad. You can imagine that 21-year-old doesn't have a life and she has to be a father or a mother or a father and a mother to the siblings. So we need to sort of loosen things up and give these children a better life. Yeah. you know, and, and, and to be able to be children as well and give them homes. You know, it's very sad that some of them live alone and nobody, no adults visits them. 
So I try to make sure that the little that I have, I channel it somewhere because these are the people who give me the platform to either perform for them or sell my music or, 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 or make money. You know, as I said, my mother has always instilled this thing to me and my sisters that were born with nothing. And when we die, we take absolutely nothing with us. Yeah. And then um, in terms of the foundation, uh, as we begin to wind down, what is the future of the foundation? What are the plans that you see yourselves in the next five to ten years? Well, um, as you said, foundations always need funding, you know. So we really try. I'm still happy that from 2006 we're still standing. Um, I I met a guy, I was in, in Sierra Leone two weeks ago, and I met a guy who works for the World Bank, and I told him I was very lucky to have Paul Wolfowitz launch my foundation yeah, yeah. in 2006, and we're still there, you know, so the two projects that we really do is the backing vocalists and session musicians yeah. and woman radio. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see woman radio becoming a platform, you know, for, for the whole of Africa. It, it's, it's a movement, you know, giving a platform to young women to showcase their talent, showcase their music. I mean, we play music that doesn't enjoy airtime, you know, from your mainstream radio station. And we talk about these issues, as I said. So I'd like to see Woman Radio becoming a, a pan-African platform. Um, and obviously, we need money. So um, uh, to the guys from GLOW, please give us money. To Dangotas? Give us money, we will use it correctly. Uh, I mean, we've got great artists. Oh, and tell the Mutsibe Foundation right here at home. Give us the money. Uh, but uh, I know they do a lot. Yeah. All these foundations yeah. do a lot. And we want to say to them, thank you very much. But there's lots of um, foundations and, you know, platforms like Kisimu. Uh, I am just so, I'm in awe of what you're doing, you know, because you work with everybody and even the Africans. So we need more organizations like this so that the more the better, because we want to grow. We want to be able to stand and be proud of everything that we are doing. And you have been the Kisima yourself. Uh, So a lot of people have come to this well, whether it's for music, whether it's for empowerment, for mentorship. I just want to get a sense, where are the people that have come to drink from this well? Uh, the girls that you've been working with, the musicians that you've been working with, in which spaces are they today? Um, people like Berita, I mean, you, you, yeah. you, you can see. Uh, people like Lyra, you know, um, I just hope she's recovering very well. People like Tidi from Malaika, and I've got my other group of young people, you know, from Woman Radio, Homozo, Lindy, Kabaza. I'm just so blessed to be surrounded by these young, brilliant young people. And I think we need to give them the space. And I think the thing, some of the things that we do, we don't bring these young people to the tables. We, we have to make sure that when we go to these strategic meetings, we take the young people with us and give them the platform to be able to articulate their challenges and the other things. So this platform has really done that. And for you guys to even have a a platform for musicians, remember musicians are not taken seriously, but do all the work uh, that channels them 
in a right direction to say they must see themselves as entity, how to invest their money, how to negotiate for their contracts. These are the things that I do for the young artists yeah. as well yeah. through the Princess of Africa Foundation and the backing vocalists and the session yeah. musicians. Because remember, if you must make sure that you invest because tomorrow may never cater for itself. Yeah, and you have invested in education yourself. Uh, I mean, with all the qualifications that you, you, you had, you are still studying. Before we came in here, you were telling me about how difficult it is. Um, <laughs> how hard is it? It is very, very difficult. You know, I think it's important that people develop themselves, continuously developing yourself, and, and, be, and be teachable. It's important because I can't claim to know it all. There are more people who are uh, more educated than I am. And if you humble yourself and accept your mistakes, but say to yourself, I want to be teachable. So I've gone back to class, you know, and uh, thanks to my lecturers, because sometimes I feel if I don't understand a question, will people laugh at me, you know, and things like that. But with the course that I'm doing, it's really empowered me to be able to say, you know what, I'm just like any other person. I'm no, I'm, I mean, wh what's, what's fashionable? What yeah. is the difference? Yeah. So if you say to yourself, you are here for a reason, you are here to, 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 to be taught, somebody is imparting their knowledge to you, I think it will be a, a, a very good thing. So I urge, you know, different people, even the young people, to say, go there, be skilled, because these are the things people always complain about. You know, people come, they have no skills, but where are they going to get the skills from? Or they yeah. have no experience yeah. if they are not given the platforms. So give the young people the platforms and, you know, impart your skills to them yeah. as well. Yeah. So I, I cannot end this conversation with you uh, without talking or paying respect to one of our dear friends, uh, Ali Mufuriki, that uh, you and I uh, knew very well. He was a friend of Capsi your friend as well, uh, who recently uh, passed away. Um, I say recent because we still feel his presence. Yeah. Um, I just want us to get a moment and maybe say a few words about Ali. Ali was a very, was an amazing man. Um, a man with a very deep pocket and a very big heart. Yeah. And he loved this continent. So I want to say to his family, you know, his wife and his children, we've lost a brother, we've lost a philanthropist, we've lost a leader as well. I know that he was a very good friend of yours, very close to Mama Michelle, and um, he loved this continent and he wanted to see change in this continent. So may his beautiful soul really rest in peace. I'm still, I still cannot believe that he just slipped away from us. Yeah. But um, these are the people who made us believe in ourselves, believe in this continent, and truly and honestly love this continent. Yeah. yeah. I would end this by saying, Mom, <laughs> since you called me your child. Yes, son. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming through. Uh, I'm sure and positive that we will find ways of working with your program, the radio, but also working with the foundation. Uh, but I also want to, to really thank you and your team for coming through and having this beautiful conversation. For us, this is the beginning of shaping a new narrative around Africa and Africa's foundations and Africa's cultures, Africa's knowledges and Africa's peoples. And for us, you are the Kisima. 
Thank you very much. That was Yvonne uh, Chaka Chaka. Thank you so much for watching. See you next time.